Before we begin our Torah study this morning, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to speak this morning about being a God-pleaser and how we can be secure in our relationship with God, knowing that we're doing uh, and, and living a life that is pleasing to him. When we say that we love the Lord, what it means is that we love him who is Adonai. And Lord is an interesting word. It, it, in English, in modern English, you could say boss. The Lord is the boss. And he is in charge. He has authority in our lives. And it's legitimate authority, and it's good authority. And when we say we believe in him, we're not just saying, I believe in the idea of God, but we are saying we want to live our lives in love, submission, and respect to the Lord. That's foundational for us. And as we're reading in this week's Torah portion, we're going to see how how people demonstrated this kind of love for God and this kind of faithfulness to God. One of the ways that we demonstrate our faithfulness to the Lord is by serving him in ministry and receiving assignments that he gives to us. Taking assignments, you could even say taking orders from the Lord that are given to us. And we also show this this love by being faithful with the details and doing our work always as unto the Lord. You know, there are, there are people who are running the uh, soundboard, they're running the technical ministries, and they're doing it as unto the Lord. As they're, as they're serving today, you know what? It's a form of worship. It's a way that they're worshiping Lord. Worship is not just singing. That's one component of it. In Hebrew, there is a word, avodah, say that with me, avodah, and it means worship, but it also means service, it also means ministry, and in modern Hebrew, it means work. All of those things combine together to give us a picture of what worship is. And in the days when Israel was traveling out of Egypt into the wilderness, through the wilderness to the promised land... There were times when, when some people showed worship by doing practical work, setting up the tabernacle or taking down the components of the tabernacle, carrying things. In the same way, when we're doing practical ministry today, it is also avodah. And so um, our technical team, we're so grateful for it. They are worshiping the Lord even right now. You're listening. Oh, are they singing? No. Singing is not the only form. It's one form. Our worship team, we're so thankful for our excellent worship team, aren't we? For the great ministry that we have. And it's wonderful to see the different ages of people that are participating in the worship ministry. It's a reflection of the diversity in our own congregation that we would have young and old together. It's a reflection of the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit 
on the Messianic community that we would have all these ages together. And I look forward to the time when we have uh, a children's worship team up here leading us in worship, don't you? And I encourage you to come to the talent show this afternoon. You'll see some of the smallest ones who, who are going to be uh, playing music or singing and doing a variety of things. And, you know, they're not just going to be performing. They're doing it with their whole heart as a service to the Lord. That's one of the things that, that we'll recognize. When we're serving to the Lord, it makes everything different. God is so pleased when we're willing to do the things he wants us to do. One of the great challenges is for, uh, for leaders and for creative people to accept assignments that others give. Because leaders have their own initiative, their own ideas how things can be done. Creative people often want to create according to what's inside of them. But we're going to look in the Torah portion in Exodus 28 today about how assignments were given to people and they received them joyfully, not under compulsion. And to set the tone for attitude, don't forget what, what we were reading about last week, Terumah, where the Lord said he wanted to receive an offering for the building up of his sanctuary, but it would come from those who were moved in their spirit and moved in their heart and were giving because they were stirred to give. That carries through. That same tone is here. This is not compulsion. This is a reflection of people having it in their heart to serve the Lord and to do it with all of their heart. So we're looking at Exodus 28. Let's read a few verses together, starting in verse 1. Now, this is given to Moses. Now, take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. So who is Aaron to minister to? To the Lord. You see, the Lord's giving the assignment, and the Lord is receiving the ministry. To minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's son, Nadav, Avihu, Elazar, and Itamar. Now, I don't know that Aaron had in mind that this would be the ministry that he would want to do. In fact, no one knew what this ministry was going to be like. They had to discover it because the Lord was introducing the ministry of the high priest to Israel. And in the ministry of the Levites as well. It was something that was new. And so no one could have fully set his heart on it because no one knew what this was all about. There was a need for revelation from God and direction from God, instruction from God, about how this ministry would develop. Aaron had to get the assignment from his brother. Who was the older one? Aaron. Right. So his kid brother, Moses, you know, 80 years old. But you know how it is. No matter how old you are, your older brother's your older brother. Am I right? All of us who have older brothers. And they will never forget it. And the younger brother's the younger brother, no matter how old you are. That's the way it is. So 
It's not that Aaron came to Moses and said, you know, Mo, I've been thinking. I want to be priest. What do you say, kid? Let me do it. It it wasn't like that at all. God said to Moses, I've decided who I want to be priest. And it will be Aaron and his sons. Interestingly, it's not Moses and his sons. Moses is a good guy, right? But he's not the one that God selects. So Moses now is in this position where he needs to communicate to his brother, Aaron, this is the assignment that God is giving to you and to your sons. And it says in verse 2, You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. And in the same way, you should speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. So there are several levels of assignments. Moses is the first one who's given the assignment. His assignment is to communicate the assignments to the others. Do you see that? And then each of these others has to receive the assignment and to receive it wholeheartedly. Because we're in a period where God is saying, I'm looking for people who are wholehearted. People who will, who will give and who will serve. My temple is to be a sanctuary. It's to be a place that's holy and it's filled with people who want to be with God who are motivated to be with God, and who want to serve the Lord. They don't just mean that they believe there is a God. They're willing to live their lives under God's direction and authority. So Moses receives the first assignment. He communicates the details to the others. And then we can see this. Aaron has to receive the assignment that's given to him, as well as Aaron's sons. And they do. And the gifted artisans as well have to receive this assignment. Now, surely there would be at that time some artist who said, listen, I have something in mind I want to do. And the answer is, that's for you for later. This work involves doing what God has in mind. And so each person is discovering something. The gifts that we've received are gifts that come from God. And they have to be returned to God, in a sense, by action. We show that the source of the gifts is the Lord by using our spiritual gifts for the building up of the body. This idea was grasped by the apostles who said that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are for the building up of the body. They're not to just make you feel better about yourself. There are other things that can do that. But the moment that ministry becomes the way that we get self-importance and value, then we have lost the true heart of ministry, which is to serve the Lord. Aaron received this great, this very visible ministry. But you know there were moments, we'll read them in the weeks ahead, when he counted the cost and wondered, does he even want to be in this ministry? In this scripture we're reading, some of the sons of Aaron are named. And in the weeks to come, we'll read about some of those sons and how they did not fulfill the assignment that was given to them. And they, they offered strange fire to the Lord that wasn't pleasing to the Lord. And it resulted in their own demise. 
And you know, as a father looking at his sons um, and the destruction that came to him, the struggle he must have had. So I want you to grasp that ministry is not always easy. It, it, it comes at a cost. But when we're ministering to the Lord, there's a great joy that comes in doing what he asks us to do. In fulfilling the assignments that he gives. And so, just to reiterate, we need to be willing to take assignments, to take orders from the Lord, to be faithful with the details, and then to serve in the ministry as unto the Lord. In in Hebrew, the word for servant and the word for slave are the same. In English, they have quite a different connotation. And slavery in English is a very negative thing. And servanthood is a very challenging thing. But in Hebrew, they're the same. When Moses went to Pharaoh, he brought a word from the Lord, let my people go so that they may, what? Serve me or worship me. Same thing. And you see what God was doing at that time? He was saying to Pharaoh, I want the children of Israel to be my servants, not your servants. I want them to be my slaves, not your slaves, if you will. But understand, there's there's an incredible difference between Pharaoh as the master and the Lord as the master. Pharaoh was never looking out for the good of Israel, and the Lord is always looking out for the good of his people. So to be under the Lord's authority is quite a different thing than being under Pharaoh's authority. But Pharaoh understood what the conflict was. The Lord was asserting that he was equal to or superior to Pharaoh. And so this was war. And if you understand the plagues, they were an act of war against Pharaoh, who was a god-man, and all the gods of Egypt as well that they worshipped. And so it was God's victory over uh, the authority of every false god that tries to dominate the people of God. The children of Israel went out, and they went out as servants. They went out with a purpose, to become a people that would serve the Lord, and would serve the Lord with gladness, with joy, in such a way that others could see how good the Lord God of Israel was. And that in seeing this goodness, they also would want to come into a right relationship with the one true God. Now, the challenge is when people go out into freedom, they want to be free on their own terms. Isn't that right? We want to get free of our problems so we can do what we want to do. We don't want to be hindered. We want to discover freedom, but we want to experience freedom in a way that pleases us and pleases our senses and our priorities. And so when we say to the Lord, I want to serve you, we may not always be pleased with his response when he says, okay. Someone told me once, the problem with saying to the Lord, I want to serve you is he lets other people treat you like servants. Where you have to serve And then make sure your heart is just right with him. So I think it was Bob Dylan who said, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil and it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And our 
experience proves that, doesn't it? That you're going to serve someone, and what we've decided to do is to serve the Lord. We consider it good. We consider it pleasant to serve the Lord. And we understand that when we're serving him, it brings pleasure to him. When he gives us an assignment, when he gives us a responsibility, and we carry it out, there is a sense of contentment, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of accomplishment, because we did something that was pleasing to the Lord. Now, Yeshua continues in the same pattern with his Talmudim. And so we're going to turn now to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to see how Yeshua also gave assignments to his disciples. When you think of the Talmudim, the disciples of Yeshua, it's important to have a clear picture. I remember in Budapest, in our congregation there years ago, I was speaking to the people and I said, your ministry is not bringing your tuchas to the service and sitting in a chair. It's good that you come. But that is not your ministry. Just sitting is not enough. We come together because we want to worship the Lord. We want to honor the Lord. We want to take a day of rest in in the presence of the Lord together with those that love God. We want to worship him. We want to be instructed in his word so that we can go out and carry out in our lives, in our ministry in the congregation, in our ministry in our family, in our ministry at work, in all the different areas that God uh, gives us, so that we can accomplish the good things that God has assigned to us. Now, in Luke chapter 9, we see how Yeshua also gives assignments. It says, starting in verse 1, When Yeshua had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority, to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. I I like this. The group had a name. What was the name? The Twelve. They were the Twelve. It doesn't list their names, but we know from other material who they were. And they knew who they were. So I guess he said, will the Twelve meet together? And they came. He sent them out, this is verse 2, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so they set out and they went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Do you see how they were fulfilling an assignment that was given to them? They carried this out on Yeshua's terms, not their terms. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it would have been easy to say, wait a minute, you're sending us out of town? Don't we even get a per diem? Where's our travel allowance? Who's going to pay? Where are we going to stay? And Yeshua makes it challenging. In this case, he says, don't even take an extra shirt. What? What am I going to change into? You can imagine all the questions. How many of you have ever had to travel on business? (laughs) Can you imagine your boss says, okay, listen, I want you to go. Uh, Pay your own way. 
You know, in work, that doesn't often happen in ministry. It happens a lot. <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> don't take your staff, don't take a bag, don't take bread, don't take money, don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. Well, what if they're not nice people? No, find nice people to stay with. Find people who will show hospitality to you, whose hearts are being stirred to open their, their homes up, who will feed you with gladness, who will welcome you as they welcome the Lord. And it says they set out and they went from village to village. This is interesting. It's not, a, it's not completely clear from the language. Did all 12 go from village to village together? Or did they divide up in some way and then they went from village to village? What's clear is they didn't just go to one village and then come back. You understand it was an overnight? And do you understand it wasn't just one night? It was... A number of nights, we don't know how many, but it was quite a few. In Luke chapter 10, we see another, another episode in, in which the disciples of Yeshua are given assignments. Luke chapter 10, after this, the Lord appointed 72, some say 70, others, and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So how many teams were there? 35 or 36, right? Depending on whether it was 70 or 72. And they went out two by two. No one went alone. Everyone went in twos. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I remember when we were in the relatively new to the Messianic movement, and our friend Jonathan Burness had come back from uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, where he'd done an outreach. And he was bringing, you know, a great report about the response of the Jewish people in St. Petersburg to the gospel of Yeshua. And and I remember he was talking about, you know, this... Uh, this willingness to say, here I am, Lord, send me. And there was a time for prayer, and I remember how I prayed. Here I am, Lord, send him. I'm in a good place, Lord. I'm glad you've called him out, that he could be faithful. But you know what? That didn't satisfy me to just say, send someone else. And there came a time when I said, here I am, Lord, send me. And I don't know if I understood what I was getting into. I, I don't think we did. I think if the Lord had told us what it would take to respond to and to go through the experiences that we were to have, we might never have done it. And there are times when the Lord will just shield you. You'll have enthusiasm. You'll have optimism. You'll have hope and faith. And you jump in and you do it, and then you're surprised how challenging it is. Having your first baby can be like that. You know, what a great thing to be a mom, a dad. And then what a great thing to uh, have a child awake in the middle of the night for weeks and months on end. Not for a day, not for a short time. And then you find out, you know, they're cute, aren't they? But they're a lot of work. 
And the work doesn't stop. You know, they, they end up going to college. And the work continues. They get married. You've got grandchildren and so forth. So there is an enthusiasm and an anticipation. And then there's a reality. And we need to learn to merge our enthusiasm with the reality. So that we can find joy in the reality, not just in the fantasy or the anticipation. These who are going out, who are being sent out, they're being told that they're going to be doing ministry, important ministry, but it's really going to rest on their shoulders. Look at, look at how important it is. Yeshua has a plan. If we, if we read verse 1 carefully, he sends them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So you, you see, Yeshua is going to at least 35 different places. And he wants his Talmudim to go first and to bring the good news before he even gets there. He has a plan. So he's working harder than they are, if you will. He's going to many places. They're going to some places. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And then I love verse 3. Go. Such, such a great word. Go. What are you doing? Go. And then he says these words that no one wants to hear. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Guys, go out into a dangerous situation. This puts a new spin on being a volunteer for the Lord, doesn't it? When we say, Lord, I want to serve you. Lord, thank you for your mercy. We're praying for provision. We're praying for healing. We're looking for, for all of his goodness. There are times when out of enthusiasm and really out of a sincere motivation, we say, Lord, hineni, here I am, send me. And then the Lord says, okay, but I'm going to send you into the situation of my choosing in order that you could use your life for my purposes, for my purposes. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. It's dangerous. Not everyone is going to receive you. Some people will oppose you. Some people will hate you. Some people will reject you. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. This is not a leisure trip. This is a time to work in ministry. Is, is that a clear picture for you? Sometimes, for people who don't travel much, the idea of going out of town is, is like so thrilling and wonderful. But for people who have to work and go out of town to do work or to do ministry, it's not thrilling. It's just work. It's part of work. i got to go from here to there i got to stay somewhere I don't want to stay. I've got to, to um, do my work, and then I've got to come back and continue my work and continue my ministry. And so Yeshua is saying, this is not a leisure trip. Don't stop and just talk to people as you're going. Get to your destination and then carry out the work. Verse 5, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone 
who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you because the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. And the Lord is trying to put something in the hearts of his disciples that they would learn to recognize and connect with generous people, with people who love God and who want to be hospitable to them. Verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Then jumping down to verse 17, the 72 return with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So we see something. This is a very important pattern of Yeshua's. He sends them out to do ministry, and then they come back to report on what happened. They're not just independent. They're part of a team. They're working together, and they're accountable. And also, this presents a a model for ministry that's quite different from the, the seminary model for ministry preparation. You know, in the seminary model, you, you go to class, you write your papers, you read your books, you pass enough tests, and then they say, okay, you're now ready to minister. In Yeshua's pattern, you're sent out to minister, and then if you do it well, he says, great, what'd you learn? And so there's the cycle of doing and then learning. You do some, and then you learn some more. You learn some more, and then you try to put that into action, and then you do some more, and then you learn. And it's on-the-job training, and there is training involved. That's why Yeshua is bringing them back. He doesn't just say, listen, you've graduated. You can now minister as however you want to minister. He's saying to them, come back. They all come back. They all talk about the great things that happened, and he gives them further instruction and further direction. Lord, we're so glad we did this. It was so great. The demons submitted to us. We're tough, Lord. We've got power. Yeshua replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is a corrective for them. They're doing the ministry. They're they're fulfilling the assignments. And Yeshua is saying, I want you to think about this, to have the right perspective about this, to have my perspective about it. Don't rejoice in the power that you have. Rejoice in my faithfulness to you. Because if you ever forget that and you delight in your own power or even in the using of my power, you're on the road to corruption. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That you belong to me. That's what he was saying. Later on in the next chapter, Luke chapter 11 verse 28, Yeshua says these Powerful words. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. There is a blessing that comes when you serve the Lord in the congregation. 
There's a blessing that comes to you when you serve with all of your heart. There's a blessing that comes to you when you not only hear the word, but you do it. And this blessing is the foundational blessing that God has for us. What God has done for us by the atonement of Yeshua and by his mercy and compassion releases us from bondage so that we can be free to experience the blessings of God. But the blessings of God are not just gimme, gimme, gimme. The blessings of God are other-oriented. They start with this. It's not about us, it's about him. And just like Aaron was called to, to be the chief priest and minister to whom? To the Lord. On the Lord's terms. Do you get that? As the Lord wanted. Now, everybody loves to do what they love to do. I remember when I I came to the Lord. It was challenging for me, but I I did actually come to faith in the Lord. And I remember when Pat Pritchard came over to our house and he wanted to pray for Sandy and me to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I was in favor of that. And it was so easy for me to, to welcome this opportunity. He prayed for me. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I even began to speak in unknown tongues. And I thought, this is great. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I thought it was fantastic. Over the next few weeks and months, the Holy Spirit started saying to me, through the scriptures, no pressure, no human manipulation, just through the scriptures, Repent, believe, receive forgiveness, be immersed in water, be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And I'm reading that and I'm trying to turn the page. I'm trying to get away from that. You see, I like the idea of God telling me what to do when I wanted to do it. But it was still hard to do what he wanted me to do when I didn't want to do it. How many of you can relate to that? I'm glad there are two or three others who have this same challenge. The rest of you must have it much easier. There are times when we say, you're Lord. But what we really mean is, you're Lord of every part of my life that I already agree with. Your authority. And when the Lord wants to touch something, and we don't want it touched, We have a way of saying no to him and then tuning it out, bearing it, compartmentalizing it, forgetting it. But when we're serving in ministry, you know what? All those things surface because the Lord holds us accountable to fulfill what he told us to do. And that touches the deep parts. So here I am, I'm beginning to believe in the Lord. I'm saying You know, your Lord, I'm praying. I'm seeing answers to prayer. I received the Holy Spirit. I could tell you Yeshua is the Lord. I could tell you Yeshua is Messiah. I could could pray. I, I enjoyed praying. I loved to study. But there was an area that I didn't like at all, and that was the idea of being immersed in water. And for me as a Jewish person, this was crossing a line. Emotionally and and socially as well. I knew that I could be in trouble if I was immersed in water. And so I decided just to not do it. 
Ooh. <laughs> but that was the honest truth. I decided not to do it. And I decided I would offer up some alternatives to the Lord. You know, I won't do that, but I will do this, Lord. And so I, I embarked on a plan of self-improvement. And it, it was a good idea, but it was an alternative to obedience. This is what I want to tell you. And yet, almost on a daily basis, I was wrestling with the fact that I wasn't being obedient. <laughs> and I had to count the costs. And, and finally, it took months. But I got to the place where I realized it wasn't true that he was Lord if he couldn't tell me what to do. If I only did what I wanted to do, then he's not really Lord. I'm not saying he has authority. I'm not saying that he's good. I'm saying I have authority and I'm good. Lord, run everything by me. I'll find the good parts. I'll take care of those. Now, I would never have said that's what I was doing, but in a way, that's what I was doing. And I got to that place where I realized that, and I was now wrestling with my own will. Have you ever had that? Where you want to go forward with God, but you understand it's going to cost you something. Yeshua says, you can't be my disciples unless you count the costs. This is not just for the enthusiastic. The enthusiastic hear the word, it sprouts up quickly, but it doesn't bear any fruit. This is not just for the temporary. They, they hear the word and then they get distracted by other things. The cares of this world, the other activities of life, crowd out the seed of the word of God and they don't bear fruit. But the one who hears the word and holds on to it and allows it to sink its roots down and to grow up and to be nurtured and to bear fruit, this is the one who the Lord's looking for. He's not looking for temporary visitors in the kingdom. He's not looking for tourists. Hey, let's check out God for a few weeks. And then we'll move on. No, he's looking for people who will go with him and live life with him. So it took me months to count that cost. And then finally I got to that place where I was ready to be obedient. I still didn't like it. Do you understand that? I still didn't like the idea, but I did it in faithfulness to God. And I received so many blessings and with it, troubles. Within 24 hours, I was disowned by my family. I was in trouble with them. I had not plotted carefully how to keep the information from them. And I, I, it didn't occur to me that I needed to hide this information and, and so I didn't. And it came out through a family member, and what a disaster. <laughs> In a good way. It was hard. It was very hard. But you know what? I understood that I was being faithful to the Lord, and we would get through it, no matter what. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And that... that produced something in me. It was a desire to serve God on God's terms, not on my terms. To say yes to him according to what he's asking, not just according to what I want to do. 
And the Haftorah portion gives us the picture of the one who wants to serve God on his own terms, not on God's terms. So let's turn in the Haftorah portion to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. King Saul was given an assignment to go to war against the Amalekites. And I think we could compare the Amalekites in, in certain ways to ISIS today. Uh, brutal, violent, vicious enemies of others. And the Amalekites had been so violent and so destructive that they really had forfeited their future. And Saul is told to, to lead Israel into war, to protect Israel, and to protect the greater world around Israel, not just Israel, but for the good of all. And he responded with some discernment, and we see this in uh, verse 6, so we'll pick up there. Saul said to the Kenites, who were living together with the Amalekites, he said, go away, withdraw, leave your homes there with the Amalekites, otherwise I might destroy you along with them, even though you were kind to all the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And so the Kenites went away from the Amalekites. This reminds me of what Israel was doing uh, in the Gazan War, warning the people of Gaza, get away from the missiles of Hamas and the weapon stores of Hamas, because we're going to target them. And we don't want to hurt any innocent, so move away, and you won't get hurt. Verse 7, Then Saul attacked Amalek, starting at Havilah and continuing towards Shur, at the border of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of Amalek, alive, but he completely destroyed the people, putting them to the sword. Verse 9, However, Saul and the people spared Agag. So who spared Agag? Saul and the people, along with the best of the sheep and cattle, and even the second best, also the lambs. And, and take note of this, everything that was good. They weren't inclined to destroy these things. So Saul and the people looked at all the good stuff, and they saw it as the spoils of war that they could use for themselves. The verse continues, everything that was worthless or weak, they completely destroyed. So the things they didn't want, they destroyed. And the things they valued, they kept. And then they rationalized why they were doing it. Verse 10, then the word of Adonai came to Samuel. Samuel was the prophet who anointed and appointed Saul. And the Lord says this, I regret setting up Saul as king. Because... He has turned back from following me and has not obeyed my orders. Yesterday, Sandy and I were, were looking at the scripture because the Lord was really underlining it for Sandy. There are, there are people who, who say, I don't know why God would do this to Saul. He appointed him king. Why would he regret it? And yet, as Sandy was saying, this verse explains because God is saying, here's why I'm doing it. Here's why I regret it. It's because he turned back from following me. You see, when Saul was anointed and appointed, he had a heart to follow the Lord. But that changed. Once he was in power, he wanted to do it his way. He wasn't ministering to the Lord by being king. He was being king for himself 
on his own terms. And he had a kind of arrogance. He, he had a kind of self-importance that allowed him to justify it as if it were the right motives. The Lord says, I regret this because Saul has turned back from following me and he's not obeyed my orders. You see, here's this picture. God gives assignments, we fulfill those assignments. The Lord values initiative, but that doesn't mean all initiative is valuable or that all initiative is right. Some initiative is wrong because it goes against what God is wanting to do and is clearly stated. Well, this made Samuel very sad, and so he cried to the Lord all night. Samuel got up early in the morning to meet Saul. However, Samuel was told Saul came to Carmel to set up a monument for himself there. But now he's left. He's on his way down to Gilgal. So after the battle, you know, Saul feels so successful that he has a monument erected to him. King Saul mighty man. And I wouldn't be surprised if it said mighty man of God. You know, if it were modern times after something like this, he would have gone on the speaking circuit and the conference circuit. Tonight in your town, King Saul, mighty man of God, man of victory and power, will teach us how to have dominion on earth. How to usher in the kingdom of God. How to serve the Lord with power. (laughs) And ask yourself, do you want to go to that conference? Do you want to read his book? You know why? Because you know the rest of the story, right? It's a... It's a sharp contrast to today where we have access to so much information and material from people we don't know, whose stories we don't know. And we can be misled. Imagine that you joined yourself with Saul thinking, wow, he's God's man. There's even a monument to him. There wouldn't be a monument if he weren't God's man. And they weren't privy to the conversations that Samuel and Saul were having. We have a responsibility to know. Congregation's the perfect place to get to know people. Samuel got up early in the morning to meet Saul. Samuel was told, however, Saul came to Carmel to set up a monument for himself there. But now he's left. He's on his way down to Gilgal. Shmuel, Samuel, found Saul. And Saul said to him, May the Lord bless you. I've done what the Lord ordered. So Saul has convinced himself that he's a God pleaser. And not only that, he's convinced himself that Samuel will agree with him. He says, Sammy, you were so right when you anointed me. God bless you. I've done what God told me to do. And Samuel, who's a straight talker, says, if that's so, why do I hear sheep bleeding and cows mooing? Very concrete argument, right? He doesn't 
say, well, I think that's just in your heart. He says, wait a minute. There's a moo out there. I hear sheep. And Saul says, <laughs> he points to the people. They, they brought them from the Amalekites. Because the people spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Your God. Samuel, you have to understand their motivation. It was so good. They saved all the best because they wanted to give it to God. I don't think that's true. I think they saved the best because they wanted the spoils of war for themselves. You'll you'll see that in the next few verses. And so Saul was giving them the means to enrich themselves through this war. But the Lord did not want to enrich Israel in this way. He had other plans. This was dirty. They brought them from the Amalekites because the people spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we completely destroyed the rest. Verse 16, Samuel said to Saul, stop. I like, Yeshua says, go. Samuel says, stop. Stop, I'm going to tell you what Adonai said to me last night. Saul said, okay, tell me. Samuel said this, you may be small in your own sight, but you're head of the tribes of Israel. Adonai anointed you king over Israel. And now Adonai sent you on a mission. He gave you an assignment. It had details you were to fulfill. And he told you these details. Go and completely destroy Amalek. Those sinners keep making war on them until they have been eliminated. Why did you seize the spoil? Do you see that? Instead of paying attention to what the Lord said. From the Lord's viewpoint, you've done an evil thing. And Saul said to Samuel, I did too pay attention to what the Lord said. And I carried out the mission on which the Lord sent me. Do you see that self-justification? He's being confronted. He's not humble. He's persevering. His motives are already corrupt. And this is why the Lord says, I know he doesn't want to follow me. He's changed his mind. He doesn't want to follow me. He wants to do what he wants to do. I brought back Agog, the king of Amalek. I completely destroyed Amalek. The people, they took some of the spoil. Now he's using the word spoil, you see. The best of the sheep and the cattle set aside for destruction. But it was to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Samuel says, does the Lord take as much pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying what the Lord says? Surely obeying is better than sacrifice, and heeding orders is better than the fat of rams. The Lord is saying, when you follow me, you follow me, and I give you instructions, follow them. If I give you an assignment and you do it, it's pleasing to me. That's what I'm looking for. Verse 23, rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft, of sorcery. Stubbornness like the crime of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. 
So what a sharp contrast. You see in the case of Moses, Aaron, the gifted artisans, they gave their heart to serving the Lord on God's terms. You see in the case of the Talmudim of Yeshua, the disciples of Yeshua, they fulfilled the assignments that were given to them. But here is Saul, and he does it his way. And I can tell you this. We all have the capacity to be Saul at some time, at some time in our life. And we have to be guarding ourselves. One of the ways that you guard yourself is through humility by serving in the congregation where you have accountability and where others can work with you and you can grow together. It's one, of the, it's one of the gifts that God gives. You see, when Yeshua sent out his disciples, they went out, how many? Two by two, right? They went out in groups. Not just every man doing what was right or what he wanted to do. And we live in such independent times, and we value our independence sometimes to the extreme, and we lose sight of the, of the importance of serving God on God's terms in the congregation, in the community of faith for the building up of the body of Messiah. I believe that the reason I'm here, and I think the reason you're here is because you really want to serve God wholeheartedly. And so we need to ask for God's help and his protection so that we don't fall into the great error in sin of Saul and we stay faithful to the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says this, We're not trying to please people, but God, who tests our heart. When we say Adonai, we're saying, My Lord, you can command me. And Proverbs 29.25 says this, Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. I've discovered this. When we serve the Lord with all of our heart, when we volunteer freely, not exercising total control over every situation, but really submitting ourselves to the assignments that God gives us, being accountable to them, accountable to one another. You know what? It brings a pleasure to God and a sense of contentment to us. And so the gifts of the Lord are given to us for the building up of others, not just for ourselves. I want to encourage you, use your spiritual gifts, develop them for your obedience, for your life of faith. And the moment that you discover, like I did when I didn't want to be immersed in water, that what you're doing is not out of the wrong, the right motive, fix what you're doing. It may take time to get to the bottom of it. It took me months to work on that one. It may take you months of struggling, of fighting, of building up your strength. But there's a great reward when you discover the joy of your obedience to the Lord. So I want to pray that you'd have that blessing, that you'd have the blessing of the life of faith. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the examples that you've given to us of faithful men and women, even faithful children, young and old, male and female, who have served you and have carried out the assignments that you have given to them. Lord, we want to be counted among those. We want to be among those who are faithful to you to the very end. And so we pray for our own hearts that you would help us stay clean before you.
and sincere before you. We pray for our own minds, Lord, that we would learn to think your thoughts, that we would accept your perspective. We pray for our own wills, that we would submit our wills to your authority. And we would allow your commanding authority to rank higher than our own sense of will. Lord, we want to love you with all that we have and all that we are. And so we ask for your help in this great effort in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. 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 Let's close now with Aaron's blessing. And don't forget talent show at 4 o'clock. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom.